Good morning. I am so glad that you can be with us today. We believe the Bible is very important. That's what our Itty Bitty Sermon Series is about. We've been talking about um, David, King David, the life of King David. Probably the biggest story um, in David's life, the most known story in David's life, is a story that we just kind of jumped real quick through um, when I was preaching on potentiality, and that's the, the encounter that, that David had with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. And everybody knows that story. I mean, we all know David and Goliath. You, even if you don't go to church, even if you don't read your Bible, everyone has heard of David and Goliath. When, when Appalachian State, the worst day of my life, beat Michigan, that was, you know, that was the, the headlines, David beats Goliath, you know, Ugh, I hated that. Um, but so we know, we know that story, we know it, know it, know it, know it. I remember when I was a kid um, in Garden City Schools, Radcliffe Junior High School, the place of fighting was Bach and Schumann. Um, that's where all the school fights took place, Bach and Schumann. If you were mad at somebody, you wanted to get in a fight with them, you would say, all right, meet me at Bach and Schumann. Because it was like a block away from the school, it wasn't on school property, you couldn't get suspended, and so Bach and Schumann was the place where you went. I never went to Bach and Schumann, because, you know, I, I know this is hard to, for you to believe, but I was a scrawny little kid. And, and you know, it wouldn't, I got in one fight in my years of high school, don't, or junior high, don't do this. It was in eighth grade. John Bird was, the, uh, was my fellow combatant. Uh, I, it was in Mr. McNulty's math class. Again, you may find this hard to believe, but I think I said something smart-alecky to John Bird. Um, he, he was a big, he was, he was Goliath, you know, and I'm this scrawny little thing. And, and I think I called him like a bird brain or something along that line. And John Bird took exception to that. And the whole fight lasted, you know, three seconds. John Bird hit me. I hit the ground. End of fight. (laughs) It was not a David and Goliath remake at all. It was the exact opposite of David and Goliath. (laughs) It was just crazy. We both got sent down to the principal's office. The principal looked at me and said, Rob, what are you doing here? And he goes, go back to class. And then John Bird got in big trouble, though. But so I, got, so I kind of won in the end, I think, you know, but that's all right. This is probably, David and Goliath is the most known story. We know, we know all about it. We teach our kids, only a boy named David, only a rippling brook. We, we teach them all that. Let me read a portion of it. This really isn't even, this is just... This is, we started at 10.30, so I got a little extra time. Um, this isn't even the passage I want us to read today, but, but you just need to understand it to get to the passage I do want to read. Here we go. 1 Samuel 17, verse 5. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath. It sounds like we need the guy from, from WWF saying something. The Philistine champion from Gath. Came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet. A bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He was wearing, you know, (laughs) it is woe. You know, that's a lot. I almost said something that was going to get me in trouble, and so I'm going to move on. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin in his, on his shoulder. A shaft of spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. He had a bowling ball on the end of his spear. Huge! His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying the shield. This is a big dude. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion. But you, 
you measly little people. You are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. This went on, the Bible says, for 40 days. Every single day, 40 days, you know, this monster of a man comes out with this with his huge 125-pound stuff. Huge, taunting, taunting, taunting. Well, on one of those trips, one of those days, you know the story. David was there. His dad gave him lunch to bring to his brothers. He brought him lunch. And while he was there, he heard, da- he heard Goliath making his taunts. And so David then went into King Saul and said, Listen, I'm your man. I'll fight him. And Saul said, oh, that's cute, kid. You know, why don't you go back and, you know, play your little hopscotch? Maybe you got some Barbies back there. You just go do that. You know, this is a man's job. You're nobody's man. You're a kid. And David said, listen, I fought a lion and a bear, and God will help me fight this dirty, rotten, stinking Philistine too. And Saul looked around and saw that, that he didn't have many uh, takers for this position. And so he said, all right, here's my coat of armor, which was too big. David was too small. And David went out, and you know the story. David, uh, I love the first Samuel 17, 45. It says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And the, the lesson there, the, le- the lesson is, it, this isn't a story about David, little guy, versus Goliath, big guy, and, and, you know, the courage of little teeny David taking on great big Goliath. This is really a story about someone who had absolutely no business, no resources, except one, God Almighty, going up against someone that had every meaningful resource except one, God Almighty, and we know what happens. David was victorious. Great, powerful story. All right, that's the background. That's the background. Now I want us to go to 2 Samuel 21. In 2 Samuel, remember, our word for today is community. In the community, when David fought Goliath, there was no community. Because all the guys in the Valley of Elah, that was their Bakken Schumann, that's where Goliath fought David, the Valley of Elah, they were all hiding. There was no community. David went out there all on his own. Maybe they were cheering him on. Go, David, go! But that was it. There was no community. It was just David against Goliath, and that was it. Nobody there to help him. They were all chickens. But that's not the end of the story. 2 Samuel 21 is 50, 60 years after David and Goliath. And after this, in 2 Samuel 21, we see that the Philistines are once again fighting the Israelites. Which tells you one thing, Goliath is a dirty, rotten, stinking liar, too, because he said that they would be their slaves, and that they would, you know, if he lost, that they would be their slaves. They weren't. They're still fighting here 50, 60 years later. And so here they are. They're fighting. Verse 16 says this. Ishibenob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels, that's about seven and a half pounds, that's, that's big, and who was armed with a new sword, which I guess was nice, I don't know, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue, and he struck the Philistine down and killed him. Verse 18. There was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Sebekai the Hushite killed Saph, 
one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle, the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jeroegeum, a Bethmamite, killed Goliath, the Gittite, not the same Goliath, different Goliath, Goliath II, Goliath the sequel, that's what this Goliath is, who had a spear and a shaft like a reaver's rod. Verse 20. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, if you can't count. He also was a descendant of Rapha, and when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shema, David's brother, killed him. We don't even know that guy's name. All we know is when he'd slam dunk a basketball, he'd give everyone a high six. It's weird. Pastor, what do these, these obscure stories have to do with community? You know, what does that have to do with our t-shirts? What does it have to do with our breakfast? What does it have to do with community? I'm glad you asked. In 1 Samuel 17, David had no community. Goliath came out there, taunted. Everyone was afraid, hiding, shivering, whatever. My dad would have said they were doing a lot of cutting and shooting, cutting around corners and shooting for home. There was no community. Just one, David, 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 that was it. But here, in 2 Samuel 21, verse 15, I didn't read that, verse 15 says, David is exhausted. Again, this is 50, 60 years after David and Goliath. David is exhausted is a euphemism for David is old. David is too old to fight anymore. David is old. He doesn't buy green bananas. David is old. David is, is old, old, can't fight anymore. Did you, hear, did you see this, this week, Mr. Feeney? Do you remember Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World? Do you remember that guy? Somebody tried to rob his house, and he thwarted the burglar. He was 91 year, he's 91 years old, and he chased the burglar away. 91-year-old Mr. Feeney. He probably sent him to detention. I don't know, but that was amazing. David isn't 91, but he's, still, he's too old to fight. These, these guys. Again, the, the, most Bible scholars think that these four... four people they're from the you know descendants of Rapha probably relatives at least from the same clan as Goliath now nothing really has changed in the 50 60 years as far as technological advancement militarily you know a spear is still a spear a sword is still a sword a giant is still a giant but this time in chapter 21 of second Samuel this time instead of running away from the giants Abishai Sebekai, Elhanan, Jonathan. They step forward and they kill four different giants. No doubt they're thinking if when David was a kid, he could beat nine foot tall Goliath and God was on his side, then surely God will be on our side when I face this six finger, six toe monster. What happened? That's what happens when community happens. When God ordained community is taking place, we inspire one another. We recognize that we need one another, that we're here for one another. The author of Hebrews said, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's community. See, David is old now. He's exhausted. Can't fight anymore. But it wasn't like 50 or 60 years earlier. Now, some other people stepped up and said, it's my time. It's my time to step forward. It's my time to carry on the fight. Now you might say, well, pastor, that's, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. But there's not any giants. I've never seen a nine-foot guy in Flint. There's, not, you know, there's no descendants of Rapha here. Well, I beg to differ. Well, I haven't seen Goliath, but I have seen giants. 
giant problems of sinfulness and selfishness and greed and racism and anger and angst and hatred. There's, there's that old word that I see. It's a giant problem, carnality in Christians. Alcoholism is a giant problem. Drug addiction is a giant problem. Fears, divorce, sickness, grief, raising kids in an in a increasingly impure culture. All those are giants. Not all of those are, are, are sinful, but they're just giants that we have to face. See, I've seen plenty of giants look us square in the face. And just like Goliath, taunt us and say, what is your God going to do about this situation? I mean, you can talk a nice talk, but what is your God going to do about this? What is your God going to do when my husband left me? What is your God going to do when I'm battling mental illness? What is your God going to do when I'm suffering depression? What is your God going to do when my kid is an addict? And this story reminds us. Let me just remind us all. Our God is able to meet any, any foe, any giant, any problem, any, any challenge ahead. But we need a community as well. That's the point of this. We need modern-day warriors like Ab- Abishai and Sebekai and Elanon and Jonathan. I'm glad for our older Davids who have fought the good fight, Paula said. We've got, we've got many from this church who have already gone on to glory. And I'm thankful for the ones who haven't gone on to glory who are still in the fight. I was talking this week. You know, um, Dean Weir and... and uh, Jude Northway was, was pretty, pretty young. Walt Brewer. Uh, Jude, uh, um, trying to remember who. Geneva Henke. I think, I, 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 hope I'm, I hope I'm not spilling any news. I think they're all drawing Social Security. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Geneva and June. <laughs> they all started here when they were babies. They started coming to this church when they were babies. And they've been here. You know, sometimes they went away to college or whatever and come back. But this is their home church. It's always been their home church ever since they've been their home church. That's one of the things I love about this place. In two years, we're going to celebrate. We've we've been around for 98 years. In two years, we're celebrating our our 100th centennial celebration. So mark it down. We'll have a big party day. You'll probably get another free t-shirt. Who knows? Um... Uh, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But it'll be a party. And that's one of the great things about being in a community and being in a, that we're here for one another, that we care for one another, that, that, that we, want, we want people to come and grow and, and maybe go off to college and then even come back and, and raise their families and know and have their, their be, be dedicated and then get married and have their babies dedicated and, and that just continue. And then their grandkids even and on and on and on. That's what a good community does. It recognizes that, that we need each other, that we're here for one another, that it's not just for the old folks, it's not just for the young folks, it's for all of us, all of us, all of us. And so that's the, big second, the second big initiative that we're starting. I told you the first one is community Bible experience. And the second one is a, is a thing that, that the board and the pastors have been working through for probably the last, I don't know, over a year, called Growing Young. Watch this video. It'll explain a little bit about what I'm talking about. Leading a church gets more challenging every day. We work hard to shepherd diverse groups of people who want to follow Jesus in a complex world. 
In the meantime, many churches are shrinking and aging. Some are disappearing altogether. Teenagers and young adults are walking away faster than we can keep up with. And we wonder, how do we become churches that young people discover and love? And how do we love teenagers and young adults well? Despite dismal trends nationwide, we've discovered hundreds of diverse, innovative churches engaging young people today. At the Foley Youth Institute, we studied these communities and uncovered six core commitments that are helping them grow young. These strategies can be your strategies too, because growing young starts when you understand your church's current reality. Vetted by ministry experts and validated by researchers, our Growing Young Assessment helps you take the first steps you need toward engaging young people. Listen to your congregation by inviting them to participate. Analyze the results with your team. Find out where you are strongest and where you need to grow. Then move forward in courage and faithfulness. Don't let the challenges ahead overwhelm your hope for change. Start with reality. Start growing young. The Fuller Youth Institute out of Pasadena, California, did a study. And instead of, there's lots of studies about churches where young people and young adults are leaving the church and never coming back. Plenty of places have done research on that. And and that's across the board, no matter what kind of denomination or church, young people uh, and young adults leaving, not coming back. It used to be that, that sometimes they would leave for a little while, and, and, you know, but then they would come back. But that's different than today. And the largest growing segment religiously uh, in the population is the, the group of people they call nuns that claim no uh, religious affiliation whatsoever. And so Growing Young said, all right, let's look not at the churches that are losing uh, students and young adults. Let's look at the churches that are keeping them. And let's see what they're doing right and maybe we can find some things that they're doing right that, that we can then translate to other churches so that they can do right. And so that's where those six core commitments come in. And those are, just real quick, it's called keychain leadership. It's, it's um, uh, turning over the keys and allowing our students, maybe, to lead in worship. It's having people like, do you know, I'm, I'm just, I hope this doesn't embarrass him. Justin Hilliard is up there. He worked more volunteer hours this week than probably any adult has put in, probably in the, in the year almost. Um, I love that kid. And I wish that we could recreate, you know, I wish we had 100 or 200 Justins that just love Jesus and love serving and finding their place of service and, and doing. That's what this is about. It's saying, saying we want to locate those students and young adults and give them a place of meaningful service. So that's one of the key commitments. It's, it's empathizing with today's youth. That's a second one. The high school that you went to or the college that you went to is not the same high school and college that is today. And if you haven't been in a high school today, uh, lately, if it's been 40 years, then you don't know what goes on in our high schools today. And if you did know, you would be praying all the more hard for our students. The third one, um, is taking Jesus' message seriously. 
young adults, students, they, they want to know that you care about Jesus. And that if you're just putting on a show, or if you're just, you know, whatever, if it turns into Oprah Hour, they want nothing to do with it. The, the fourth one is, is fueling a warm community. They ask those students and, and young adults, what is about, describe your church. And overwhelmingly, what they said was, it's like a family. That's what we want to be. We want to be a family. That's community. And then the, the, the fifth one is prioritizing young people, young families everywhere. And the, 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 the sixth one is being the best neighbors. You know, caring for your community, your neighborhood, your city, your influence. Some of those things we're doing pretty well on. Some of those things we can use some work on. And so what we're going to do, and in your worship folder today, is a thing that looks like this. And we need you. We need every single one of you. You say, this is my first Sunday here. I know nothing about your church. Great. You can participate. Um, We want every single person, if we had a thousand participants, it'd be awesome, to do an assessment. It'll take you like uh, 10, 15 minutes tops. Um, to do an assessment of our church. And you just give your opinions. It's, it's anonymous. You, do your, you give your opinions. You, you, you fill it out. And then at the end of November, this is going to be open until the last Sunday in November. And so go home, get on your computer, do this. If you don't have a computer, we have some stations set up here, and we'll have them set up every Sunday, and you can just do the, the quick assessment. But we need, every, we, need, we need young people, everyone 14 and over. So if you're 14 years up to 118, then you can participate. And if you're 118, you're awesome. Um, so we need everyone, everyone, everyone to do that. You can see how you get on there and just follow the instructions on the card, and you can do that. See, we have to understand our reality. Before we can recognize what areas we need to improve in and how we can, can work, we need, to, we need to understand what our current reality is. And that's what this assessment is going to help us with. All right. We got to wrap this up because we've got six baptisms. Community is so vitally important. I want next Sunday is Veterans Day, um, and so I'm jumping the gun a little bit. But I wanted to read this article. It was written by a lady named Jeannie Buckingham, and it was about the Alamo. And it's a really neat story. And I and I and I think it it will summarize what what I'm really talking about. This is what she wrote: The battle ended shortly after 5 a.m. March 6, 1836. 183 brave men had barricaded themselves in the tiny church mission called the Alamo. Outside the mission forces, Antonio Perez de Santa Ana, commander of the Mexican forces, raised the flag of no quarter and commanded his more than 2,000 troops that they were to take no prisoners. The blast of the bugle signaled the rush to the Alamo, and three times the attacking columns were repulsed. Remember, 2,000 versus 183. Three times they were repulsed. The brave Texans gave ground foot by foot until only a handful were left. Finally, overwhelmed by the odds, the last man laid dead. The Mexicans had won. But had they? Other victors, only Santa Ana's name is remembered. Yet even after 182 years, the names of those who chose to die rather than to live with tyranny are household names to many of us. Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, William Travis, all heroes. This is the part that I wanted you to hear. And what about James Bonham, age 29, young adult, growing young, leading the way? When it was apparent that Santa Ana was about to attack, Bonham slipped out of the Alamo under the cover of night and rode his horse 95 miles to Goliad to try to get help. The commander of the Texan army at Goliad shook his head. He had no troops available. Bonham now had a decision to make. Would he return to the Alamo 
and face certain death? Or would he stay put to live and fight another day? He returned. He fought his way through enemy lines so that he might die with his comrades. The next day, Commander William Travis drew a line in the dust with his sword, urging those who were determined to stay and fight and die for freedom to cross over the line. It's recorded that all but one man crossed the line, and that man, Jim Bowie, was too ill to walk and asked that his cot be carried over the line. The next day, Santa Ana attacked, they all died. But 46 days later, the Texan forces routed the Mexicans at San Jacinto, fighting under the slogan that shaped our nation, Remember the Alamo. See, the thing that impressed me about Jim, Jim Bonham, no one would have blamed him. No one would have said, oh man, you, you don't, you know, just stay here. No one would have blamed him at all. But he made a conscious decision to go back and die, to, 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 to be with his men. Why? Because there was a community there. And he wasn't going to let them be in the fight all on their own. He said, it's my turn to be with my, my, my comrades, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to fight. They had a community, and nothing else mattered. You see, the, the people that make a difference in this old world, the ones who stand up and make a difference, it comes down to a point in their life, I think, when they have to make a decision. Who are they going to be? What are they going to do? What are they going to stand for? Are they going to be followers of Jesus Christ? Are they going to be the man and woman that God created them to be? Are they going to be giant killers? Are they going to be the people that, that stand up for what is right and true? And are they going to willing to make that commitment and say, I'm going to follow him at home, I'm going to follow him at work, I'm going to follow him at school, I'm going to follow him no matter the cost. My time for service is now, just like those guys with, with David. I'm going to step up to the plate and I'm going to be a giant killer. I'm going to be generous with my time and my talents and my treasures. I'm going to be the person that God wants me to be. I'm going to be the man, the woman, the teenager, the student, the whatever that God is calling me to be. Don't let this growing young talk make you think that somehow we're pushing old folks out. That is absolutely, that's, in the Lord's army, we're not asking you to, to retire. We're asking you to reenlist. We need, we need mentors, we need prayers, we need role models, we need people. We need, we need people that will, will come alongside our young adults and our students and love them and care for them and pray for them and be there for them. That's what this is about. When we say in Flint as it is in heaven, we want that to happen. We really want that to happen. And we're saying, saying I guess in many ways, I'm like William Travis drawing the, the line in the sand saying, will you join, will you step forward, will you be that person that will say, I'm all in. Lord, you have given us such a great day. Thank you for our community. Thank you for how you're working in this place. We love you and we love what you're doing. Lord, we do want to see your will done, your kingdom come in Flint as it is in heaven. Amen.